Jimmy into the lane, hangs on Siaka, banks it up and in. Jimmy Butler with a kiss off the window. Eight seconds to go. Sixes by 13, Raptors ball. Leonard with it, Leonard has it stolen by Jimmy. Three seconds, a race to the rim, up, layup, good. Jimmy Butler has scored four in a row. Embiid faking it three, driving to Gasol, draws the top, puts it up and in. Embiid is coming alive. And the field goal is good. Ennis guards Kawhi, he dribbles right around him. Embiid blocks his shot. On the run out, Simmons, he's going to lay it up and in. And B with a block at one end, and Simmons like a freight train getting the layup. And now the Sixers need to just get it across midcourt, dribble away the remaining time, and these fans here giving the Sixers a standing ovation, and they want them to come back in the Eastern Conference Finals. That would be the next home game for the Sixers. It would be game three of those conference finals, but obviously some unfinished business with Game 7 in Toronto on Sunday night. The final here at Game 6 of the Eastern Conference semifinal series. The Sixers 112 and the Toronto Raptors 101. I'm not going to lie. I don't really want to be here right now. <laughs> that was tough to watch. It's going to be tough to talk about. And as... Amal, our producer, as I'm trying to pronounce his name properly, I believe mentioned as we were talking pre this podcast, we could just play the podcast after game three because yeah, that's what stuff. it felt like. Except this time it wasn't just Embiid flexing on him. It was Ben Simmons flexing on him as well. I'm Donovan Bennett. I'm joined by Jesse Rubinoff, who you know from hosting uh, our highlight shows, and there weren't many highlights in that game. I'm also joined by Tyler Ennis, who you know because he's always constant voice on this podcast, trying to make sense of what we've seen. So Tyler, can you make sense of how in the span of 48 hours, the Raptors looked like the best team in the league and then looked like a team that shouldn't be in the playoffs playing against the same opponent? Yeah, it's been weird in that sense. I think just as a fan watching, you know, I think you you kind of see the energy right off the bat, you know, which team's going to come out and kind of uh, take the reins. And I think game six, it, obviously Philly came out and, and took it to him. I think the Raptors did make some runs. And, and kind of kept it respectable and until the end. But, you know, I don't remember a series where it's been so lopsided, you know, in the victories where you're watching as a Raptors fan and, you know, you think your team's going to, you know, sweep for yeah. the rest of the series. And then the next game as a, a Sixers fan, you'll think the Sixers are going to sweep. So I, I think it's been a, a very back and forth series. And I think the only way that the result is going to be, you know, fair is with one game seven. So we'll see if uh, home court advantage helps the Raptors in any way. Even within the games that were close, there were wild runs either way, where in game one, the Raptors dominate for three quarters, and then Philly comes back in the fourth. Outside of the blowouts, even the games that went either way were weird games within a game. And so that's why I suppose game seven will be the best test on who deserves to advance. At times, I I look at both of these teams and I'm like, man, they need to be blown up this offseason. So there's a lot riding on this game seven. There's a ton riding. We obviously have yet to decide or yet to see what Kawhi's decision is going to be. We've heard about the Masai Jury rumors. Who knows if they lose this game? This is going out in the second round. is not at all what the Raptors predicted coming into the year. But I think last night's game, like Tyler said, like right from the hop, it just didn't feel right. Ben Simmons felt like he had 15 tippins in the first quarter and the Raptors didn't match the intensity level of the Sixers. The Sixers, of course, backs against the wall, but you got to come out like the Milwaukee Bucks did against the Boston Celtics. You smell blood, you put their foot on their throats, and you end the series when you have the opportunity to end the series. Kyle Lowry said before the game, 
Um, we're just trying to go out here and play our, our, the game hard as possible. Um, tonight, closing out tonight would be unbelievable. Um, but we got to do small things and, and still, you know, prepare as you know, uh, as if we're going to war like we are tonight. And uh, we understand that they're going to come out swinging and playing hard. But we got to go out there and, and play more desperate than them. But then they come out and right from the hop, the Sixers are diving all over the floor for loose balls. They're out rebounding the Raptors. The Sixers have 16 offensive rebounds. That, from watching it on TV, didn't have the feel of an effort of a team that really wanted to end the series last night. And even when they made their runs, cut it to eight, cut it to seven, I'll speak for myself only, you never really felt like they were going to come back and overcome. Because really what happened was Joel Embiid would check back into the game, and then the lead would be double digits quickly. In a game where you had a center in Boban who was a minus 16, you normally think you're going to win, but they also had a center in Joel Embiid who was a plus 40, which is crazy. 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 Tyler, you mentioned the energy is the thing that jumped out at you. And when I watch, I've clearly never played at a high level, and, and Jesse is, is watching again like a broadcaster. And we talk about the energy and how it's frustrating to see it there or not. But I've always felt like energy is an, a talent. When you evaluate guys in the draft... Some guys can shoot, some guys can ball handle, some guys are just naturally great passers. Some guys bring energy, Mm -hmm. and some guys don't. And I'm not sure why that is, because it seems like something you can internally decide that you're going to do, you're going to have effort. But for whatever reason, there are guys who give max effort all the time, P.J. Tucker, and there are guys or teams who it fluctuates up and down. Why is that? I think during the regular season, we could look at every team, and there's been games. I I think they talk about... uh, when you go on a road trip, the last game of that road trip is usually hard for a team to get up because you're thinking about going home. And then the first game back, you know, from a road trip. So your first home game after that road trip is is usually hard to get up and get your energy going. But I think it's hard to, you know, kind of uh, protect the Raptors in a sense because it is the playoffs. And speaking on the Raptors and the Sixers, because we've seen both of them kind of lay down to each other and, and both teams get dominated throughout this series. But I don't think it's home court advantage. I think you can decide the one thing you control is the energy and these guys are going to miss shots make shots and mm-hmm. and every team we're seeing we're seeing Steph struggle and he's arguably the best shooter we've ever seen you know so the one thing that you can control is the energy and how you play and and I think that's also been inconsistent with the Raptors but you know it's funny we're talking about guys with energy where Pascal I think for the first couple of years in the league was his best Mr. attribute energy. was was energy yeah. and obviously he's gotten so much better but we talk about him we talk about Lowry, who, you know, I think we spoke about it, you know, a few podcasts where he's talented, but his thing that makes him Kyle Lowry is his attitude and what he brings to the game and not so much his scoring that the Raptors need. But, you know, I think with those two as two of your top three guys, I think it would make it easier for the other guys to follow. You know, I don't think I'm seeing those two not playing hard, but I think it's hard to look at them as a group and and say that they're going into game six as they want to finish the series. Yeah, Kyle has struggled, and maybe my expectations of him are so much lower now that I'm like, just don't be brutal. Just play to par. And last night, 13, five rebounds, six assists. He wasn't in single digits in points. He wasn't atrocious, although he clearly he was wasn't good. He was yeah. he was just fine. And they've won in this series when he was just fine because, once again, Kawhi was great, 29-12-5, and, and Pascal was great, 21-6-3. and three. But when you look at the center position, and we talked about what the Sixers did, that position, Gasol, seven points, three rebounds, four assists. 
you can't be a center, a seven-footer, play 36 minutes and get three rebounds. To me, Abaka, nine points in 22 minutes, three rebounds, one assist. Like, those, to me, are effort things, right? And that's what was frustrating is that our conversation after game five was Kawhi was good again. What else is new? But they got so much help finally from the bench and from everybody else. And then going into game six, when they spoke about treating it like a game seven, it was the exact opposite. Yeah, I think when you look at at Gasol's production last night, I think what's happening with him is offensively he's struggling because he's expending so much energy on the defensive end trying to contain Joel Embiid. Uh, Embiid last night, they get 17 points, uh, 12 boards, but was really a force uh, more so on the defensive end. And then you look at a guy like Serge Ibaka. I feel like Ibaka, unless he hits his first or second shots, he's almost completely negated and out of the game. Like his head just, he just disappears and his head goes into the clouds. And they need more production from Serge Ibaka because right now the Raptors aren't getting anything off the bench. We saw Fred Van Vliet again for a limited amount of time not accomplish anything. And you talked about this last podcast, Donovan. Fred Van Vliet, this just isn't the matchup for him. But the issue with the Raptors is they're not getting anything from anybody on the bench. So it's not like they have any other alternative. So when the starters are struggling, the bench is struggling, it's not a good recipe. And as we saw last night, everybody, for the most part, was struggling. They weren't hitting their shots. Fred Van Vliet, 16 minutes. Norm Powell, 9 minutes. Patrick McCaw, 4 minutes. And then, you know, just garbage time. Malcolm Miller and Jody Meeks both get four minutes. Not only is that bench not producing in limited minutes, it's almost like a cyclical issue because Nick Nurse doesn't trust them. Yeah. And thus, he's he's running his starters into the ground. His starters plus Abaka, really. Having said all that, if you just went on a long road trip and binged the Free Association podcast throughout the series, you would think that I'm bipolar because it's been yin-yang after every game, Super high, things are good. Super low, things are bad. And really... That's how every Raptors fan would be feeling. (laughs) True, yeah. But really, it's probably somewhere in the middle. And if I said to either of you guys at the beginning of the season, the Raptors are going to have a Game 7 in the second round of the playoffs at home against Philly, knowing the question about Kawhi and his health, knowing the hangover of how Kyle Lowry felt about what happened with DeRozan, knowing that you had a new coach, I think everyone would take that scenario and feel good about... There are a lot in life, no? Yeah, I think what makes me feel particularly good about Game 7 is last night, we talked about how Kawhi played good, and he was good, but I think last night he missed a lot of shots at important parts of the game and a lot of wide-open shots that he normally makes. Last night, uh, about a buck 30 left in the first half, he misses an open three. Jimmy Butler goes back the other way, has an and one. Kawhi misses another three. Butler has the layup to end the half. And what could have been a seven-point lead for the Sixers going into the half ended up being a 15-point lead because Kawhi didn't make those shots. Kawhi has been otherworldly in this series. So he gives you really no reason to believe he won't be like that again in Game 7. And ultimately, that's the big difference between this Raptors team and Raptors teams in the past is Kawhi Leonard. So if he can dial it up like he did in Games 1 through 5, then I think the Raptors are going to be okay. I'm trying to think, and I don't think there's ever been one, where there's been a game where the stakes have been higher for this franchise. And it sounds like hyperbole, but here's why. They, they got to a conference finals before, but no one really expected them to take four games off of the Cavs. And even if they did, they were not going to take one game off of the Warriors. Hmm. They, they've been close to a conference finals, game seven. We, we all know it. We watched it as kids. 
Vince Carter, graduation day, misses the shot from the corner at the buzzer, and the Sixers prevail, and then go and get stomped by the Lakers. Even if Vince Carter hits that shot, they go to a final. That would have been great, but they weren't beating Kobe and Shaq at that point. This year, and I'm not one of the believers who think that the, the Warriors dynasty is certainly done, but they're certainly vulnerable with the health questions around KD and the fact that they're happy that it's only a calf strain because it looked like it was an Achilles. Yeah. The fact that their depth has really been questioned and that Clay and Steph have struggled and that Iguodala is already playing hurt. We're just waiting, I am anyways, for the Rockets to run out of gas because that's been their M.O. But even still, you feel like you'd have a fighting chance against them in a finals. The Bucks are, are sitting at home on ice and resting, but there's clearly questions about Buttonholzer and taking a team to the finals for the first time. And then there's whoever comes out of this series. And that's why I feel like they lose this game. It's a big call later, big decision that goes against their favor. We could look at the franchise looking totally different next year. They win this game. We could talk in two weeks about them going to and winning the finals. That's why I love game seven because the stakes are so, so high. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about the Raptors chances of winning earlier. I think they've had one of their best rosters this season. And I think with the Mark Gasol trade, the depth, which was one of the Raptors attributes and positives on their team is basically gone, you know? So I think if they do end up losing game seven and Kawhi leaves, I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Raptors have a, a totally new roster come next yeah. year, just with, you know, them being such a high payroll team and, you know, not having Kawhi Leonard, not having a superstar to, to really kind of ride us back to the playoffs and finals. I don't see them continuing to pay Kyle Lowry $30 million and Serge Ibaka 20 and, and these guys are making, you know, a ton of money. And I think Raptors fans, not like any other fans that expect to win, they're, you know, very hot and cold with this team. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a new roster if things don't go well in Game 7 for the Raptors. Yeah, and this team's getting older too. We have to keep that in mind. Like Kyle is no spring chicken anymore. Marcus Gasol is getting up in age. Serge Ibaka is getting up in age. So if you lose in the second round, and you've got to wonder what that would spell for Kawhi Leonard's future in Toronto, it's going to be difficult a difficult offseason, I think, for the Toronto Raptors. One of the things that scares me is that the Sixers also seem to have this level of urgency because of the moves that they made themselves. Like They brought Jimmy Butler over with the intention, I'm sure, of seeing this year as an opportunity, just like the Raptors are seeing, to potentially get to the Eastern Conference Finals or get to the NBA Finals. So I think the Raptors, for all year, we've been saying, finals are bust, finals are bust, finals are bust. And that's putting a lot of pressure on a team who's playing against a team who also feels like they have what it takes to get to that. So I don't think we should necessarily look past the Philadelphia 76ers and what they've put into their roster this year because they think that they have just as good of a chance as the Raptors, obviously. What they've put into the roster and what they've taken off of it. Yeah. They've taken off a lot of depth the same way they have, the Raptors have. Landry Shamit would be someone who would be an impact player in this series. Covington would be a player who would be an impact player in this series. But they also traded some of their future. And maybe it's just trying to erase a mistake. But when you have Markel Fultz as a first overall pick, and he hasn't really played any meaningful minutes for you, keeping him and trying to develop him would show that, okay, we're all in right now, but we still are mortgaging our future and leveraging that as well. Trading him for basically what is depth for this playoff yeah. run has said, listen, we're all, all in. in. The yeah. process is over. And so... Similarly to what you're saying, Jesse, if they were to lose in the second round, I would think that jump-starting the process and not letting it linger a bit 
would be a mistake on Elton Brand, who so far so good has been a, a pretty good decision maker after Brian Colangelo. The decision that Masai Ujiri made, and I'll, I'll end the Raptors portion of this conversation on this, Kawhi Leonard has been, for me, the best player in the playoffs. Giannis has been good. KD has been good. I think Kawhi has been good because he's done it without much help, and he's been consistent doing it every night on both ends. Having said that, if they lose in Game 7, was this trade a success? I think that question depends not just on the result here, but if he resigns in Toronto or not. So I, th- I think there's more than than just this game, but I don't think you can possibly look at this season as anything more than a failure if they don't win this game because the Raptors have made the Eastern Conference Finals before in their history, and we remember that. And now to have a team where everybody said finals are bust and you lose in the second round of the playoffs against a team that you think and the fan base thinks you're a lot better than, I think there are going to be a lot of tough questions that have to be asked in the offseason for the Toronto Raptors uh, if they go on to lose this game. Yeah, I feel like specifically it, the Raptors front office kind of went into the season and, and made that trade as going in with Kyle Lowry as your point guard and you know at the start of the year it was JV and, and a bunch of guys who have been around for a while and trading for Kawhi knowing he could possibly walk away at the end of the season I think kind of set them up for either all right we're going to continue making this run you know for the championship if Kawhi signs back and if he leaves you know we're going to do this rebuild we have a few young guys but you know, they, they've done a great job in developing their young players. I think, you know, outside of the Bruno Caboclo draft pick, I think every player they've drafted has, yeah. you know, helped them at some point and, and, you know, been in the rotation or got playoff minutes. So, you know, I think the Raptors have figured that side out. So I don't think they're too worried about rebuilding because you, you obviously still have Pascal and Fred pieces, and, yeah. and, and other pieces. But I think it'll be tough to continue to just make this championship push without Kawhi Leonard or... You know, a DeMar DeRozan, a guy that could win you a game basically by himself and continue to still pay these older guys, you know, all this money just to sneak into the playoffs. See, I think the trade for me is a success no matter what happens in Game 7. And here's why. What was the alternative? Bring the same team back? Bring DeMar back? I mean, we know how that story was going to end. As competitive as those teams were, none of us think that that team had what you needed to win a championship, this was a shot. So if it didn't work out, fair enough, but it probably wasn't going to work out anyways. You're probably going to have to move DeMar and Kyle at the end of the deals and start over anyway. So really, if Kawhi leaves, you just move the timeline on that up a year. So the fact that you have a shot, even if it doesn't come to fruition, and even if Kawhi doesn't resign, which you can't control as a front office, it's up to him, I think the deal was smart. Because remember... You got a bit of a discount. You got a no-frills price. If Kawhi was playing the way he did play during the regular season and is playing now, the cost would have been way more expensive than Jakob Pertl and DeMar DeRozan. So you got an elite player, a two-way player, something that people don't trade. Mm-hmm. Ask uh, the Lakers. It's hard to get one of those guys. You got him for cheap, and you had this great run. It, it may work out. It may not work out. But I think regardless... When you look at the decision, I think the decision was the correct one, even if they don't get to the finals for the first time. Yeah, well, it's almost like Kawhi and DeMar really have nothing to do with it because Kawhi has pulled his weight and then some in the postseason. So was DeMar going to be better in the playoffs than Kawhi has been throughout this run? 
I don't think so. But to play devil's advocate to what you were saying, I think there probably are going to be some Raptor fans out there. I don't think this is a majority by any stretch because I think almost everybody is satisfied with the Kawhi Leonard trade now. But if you brought back the DeMar and Kyle team nucleus this year, LeBron was gone. So I think that was the one difference between the past years and this year because you didn't have that roadblock that was standing in your way for previous seasons. Now it was, yeah, you have Giannis, you have the Sixers, you have the Celtics, whatever, but LeBron wasn't there. So maybe if you give DeMar and Kyle that opportunity with no more LeBron, maybe they go further. I don't agree with that, but I'm sure there will be, if the Raptors lose in game seven, there might be some people out there that say we should have given DeMar and Kyle another chance with no LeBron in the conference. You must be the biggest Nick Nurse fan in the world. (laughs) That's your take. Because really the only difference would be we're changing the coach. And we think that, yes, LeBron is gone, but the overall depth at the top of the East is better with Milwaukee, with Boston having Hayward and Kyrie healthy. Now, we we know how that turned out, but the thought of them, and with Philly having another year to get older with their young stars, and then adding two stars, an all-star, and a guy who um, is just at that level in Tobias Harris to their team. So even if you brought that team back, if you bring that team back, that's not better than the team you have right now with LeBron in the conference or not. So, so even still, I think it's a better move because, again, 10 times out of 10, if someone says to you, you can trade DeMar DeRozan and Yaka Pirtle for Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green, yep. I'm doing that deal. I don't care how much is left on the contract. I don't care how much money is owed. I don't care when you're a free agent. I'm doing that deal, and then I'm figuring out the rest later. I agree. I think if you have the chance to get not only a top, three perform in the playoffs but outside of the year he sat out I think a top 10 performer year in year out I think you do it I don't think you mortgage your entire future and and bank everything on a one-year deal but I think if you can give up you know a main piece in DeMar and and a guy you drafted in in Jacoperto but you have the opportunity to sell him and I think the Raptors have done a good job I think they've done everything they can in the Kawhi sweepstakes and kind of making Toronto look like it's a good option you know for him to resign long term and bringing in Gasol, bringing in Danny Green with them, and, and making moves to show not only Kawhi, but also the fan base that, okay, we believe we could win the championship, but also we're, we're really going for it. We're, like you said, we're giving up a piece of our future and a piece of our bench for guys that we think could help right now. And will that help Kawhi in deciding to stay? I don't know. But I think looking at the front office, from the time they brought Kawhi and I thought they did a good job in doing everything they can to make it look like it's an attractive destination for him. Yeah, Masai has been completely vindicated by the performance of Kawhi Leonard. And if the Raptors lose in Game 7, it will not be because of the moves that Masai Ujiri made or the play of Kawhi Leonard. It'll be everybody else who just can't seem to hit their shots the way they hit them during the regular season. That's what it boils down to. What really helped that trade look good is not even how Kawhi played. For me, it's how Pascal played. Because he at least gave you someone who, okay, if we have to blow this up, at least we have someone we can build around. Right. Is he a top 15 player? No, but could he be a potentially an all-star? Someone who other stars may want to play with? Yes. Someone that you know you could really sell to your fan base. People would be excited to watch every night. Yeah, so it's not like you have to go in the wilderness and be terrible because he'll help you out in the event that Kawhi leaves. This is why Game 7 is going to be super fascinating, and it's going to be on Sportsnet. So make sure you watch. Sportsnet.ca will have your analysis. I will be doing an IG Live post game after, so make sure you get on the gram, holler at us, 
we've got Game 7 for you on Sportsnet, but it's Mother's Day. You might be jammed up <laughs> doing some Mother's Day things. I got you. Sportsnet now. Get the app. Download it right now. Listen, you can delete it whenever you want. You, you, you don't have to subscribe for a year. Like, Don't tell my bosses. I'm just saying. Get it so you can make sure you're up to date with the scores, watching whenever you need to. Then maybe you keep it because not only can you watch live games on there, Stanley Cup playoffs, Blue Jays, Premier League, and FA Cup, you can also watch old Sportsnet shows on there. So, man, you miss Sportsnet Central. You want to see the boy Rubinoff. <laughs> Get Sportsnet now, right? You, you missed part of the NBA draft. You want to see who is the latest Canadian from the Athlete Institute that's going in the draft because Tyler's dad, Tony McIntyre, doing a great job. Get Sportsnet now. We've got you. Sportsnet now. Listen, do your Mother's Day stuff. Watch the Raptors when you can. Sportsnet now is the product for you. The other thing on Sportsnet now is a bunch of other playoff games. And so let's do a quick rip around around the league before we say goodbye because the Raptors discussion was a little dark. It was a little depressing. <laughs> so I'm a hater. I love to spill tea. So it's we still got game seven. It's, it's like it's no, dark it's in here, but we're it's good. True. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. Game. You're, you're the optimist. That's why you're here. I'm the pessimist. And when I feel bad, I just want to like look at other people's terrible lives and hang on them. That's why I like reality TV show. So let's talk about the Celtics, who are basically a reality <laughs> TV show. And Raptors fans, if you're upset, imagine if you're a Celtics fan right now, who Kyrie, at the beginning of the year, unprompted, said to a bunch of their season ticket holders, can't wait to resign here, loving it. Then filmed a commercial <laughs> with his dad where he's up looking at the Raptors, talking about Celtics greats, wanting his name up there. Since he's been real non-committal on what he'll be doing in the offseason, he says, ask me July 1. Only problem is they'll probably have to make a trade for Anthony Davis around the draft, which is before July 1. So they really have no idea what the future of their franchise may look like. And if you read the comments on our website around articles around the Celtics, Celtics fans may not even really want him back the way this season ended. And the fact that they were a better team last year with Rozier and without him. I, we talked about lack of energy with the Raptors. I don't even know if you can say lack of energy with Celtics. There was zero energy. The play that sticks out to me was the Bucs just getting five offensive rebounds on the same possession. Incredible to watch. I don't think there's a team whose roster, the depth of it, I think I respect more than the Celtics coming into this year, but I don't think there's a team that's been more disappointing to watch than the Celtics this year. Yeah, I... Seen their struggles throughout the season, but I thought at some point they'd get it kind of together and, and everyone would click and, and even if it was heading into the playoffs. So it's been weird to watch a team with that much talent kind of not been able to, to reach even close to their potential. But I think talking about the Raptors and if their franchise player walks away, I think I'd rather have the Celtics situation looking at still having Tatum on a rookie deal, still having Jalen Brown. Still having Gordon Hayward. I think this is second year of a, a max deal. So they obviously still have some pieces. Marcus Smart. They still have some pieces that they can make some moves and, and still make some noise in the East, I believe. And also still have a, a bright future with those guys. But, you know, it's tough for fans to, to say not to sign Kyrie. Just because I think if you ask any GM, maybe a top three point guard in the NBA, I think you sign him back no matter what. Whether you really want him back or not, I think it's better to have him on the books and figure it out later. Figure it out later as an asset. As an asset, and you could trade him. And I think, you know, even if he's playing terrible or he's injured or whatever the case, I think you could still get a better package back for Kyrie than you're going to get this summer unless you sign Kemba Walker. Do you think he can be the best player on a championship team? Because we've seen he's a great Robin. Mm -hmm. 
hit one of the biggest shots in finals history. But I don't know if he's a great Batman because being a Batman is not just what you do on the floor. It's what you do in the locker room. It's what you do in front of the media. He didn't shoot well in this series, no question. But I think his biggest ills are the things that he said or didn't say that became stories that inflamed everything that was going on on the court. After every single Celtics loss, it felt like Kyrie was an account would post Kyrie post game ripping his younger teammates. And you see how detrimental a disgruntled player, let alone a a superstar and supposed leader of the team and how damaging that can be to an organization because Kyrie was incorporated into this offense. You ask guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown to take a step back in the offense and then when Kyrie, the thing that stuck out for me, aside from the shooting, he did end up having actually more shots than points throughout the series with the Bucks. But he looked by the end of it like he was just disinterested. And when he would have post-game comments, like he said, oh, I should have had 30 shots in the game I missed. I don't know, he missed 20-plus shots. Like, oh, I should have taken 30. And then he goes out in game six, and he shoots 21. He goes like six for 21 or something. A couple days after, he said he was never going to go 0 for 22 again. And it's just like his performance was hurting his team. And instead of being the facilitator that we know Kyrie Irving can be, he said, I'm just going to try and dig out of this myself. And it looked like he was doing it to the detriment of his own team, which was shocking to see, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, one, not a good time for his uh, friend's edition shoes to come out and drop right after they get eliminated. (laughs) Because he feel like he loves to show friends for whatever reason. So the new Kyrie's have a friend's theme and he has a friend's tattoo on his arm, but it feels like he has no friends literally on that team. The other thing is you mentioned his demeanor. He's so emo to me. Yeah. Like it's like when he's talking on the podium, he just listened to the weekend record and he's like (laughs) super, super in his feelings and sad. And like, you're trying to, I think channel like this Kobe mob mentality with your speech patterns and the way you are, but you're not that guy. And in fact, LeBron, I feel like, was at his worst when he went to Miami and he was trying to be a villain. Mm-hmm. He actively was trying to be a heel when he's not that guy. He's the guy who, with the Cavs, had like a different handshake with everyone and was had Danny Green at the end of the road dancing for him. <laughs> Kyrie thinks he's trying to be this leader that he's not. And that's why I wonder if he's better just hooping and not worrying about all that other stuff. But I also wonder if he would be better offensively anyways off of the ball so he could just catch it and score so he could just catch and hoop and he didn't have the burden of facilitating Mm -hmm. look at a guy like Steph who is a willing passer but most of his actions come with him off the ball because Draymond or Iguodala or KD start the possession with the ball in his hands and I I wonder if a better use of Kyrie from an X's and O's standpoint would be like an off guard who's just a monster yeah I do agree with the Kobe comment you talked about I think that's you know the whole year looking at the media and and how he treated it that's the vibe i got from him i think the difference is kobe you knew what kobe was doing he wasn't out there to get any assist he wasn't out there to (laughs) make anybody else better so it's hard i think when you have a roster full of talent you know you're you're listening to this guy say these kobe-like quotes where he's the one that's supposed to be sharing the sugar and and, (laughs) and helping you out right you know so it's tough i think for them to realize like okay he's kobe bryant in point guard version i think he has the talent to do whatever he wants but I also think him leaving Cleveland I think I don't think he realized what he had in a sense he could do no wrong you know when things went bad it was LeBron LeBron needs this LeBron's doing this Mm -hmm. 
when things went well, it was LeBron, but people still respected Kyrie. You know, I think people still went into Cleveland, okay, this is LeBron, but we had to deal with Kyrie as well. And I don't think him going and, and being the face of the franchise has done anything great for his career and his legacy. I think if he would have stayed in Cleveland, I don't even know what happened, you know, and LeBron left, I think people would still look at him in a different light than him going to Boston and be, becoming this villain and you're having people, you know, fans obviously, which, you know, fans are very fickle, but talk about not signing back a, a, a top three point guard strictly off of off the court stuff. I wanted to get both your takes on this. When you watch Kyrie, and you, this speaks to what you were saying about him being off the ball, one of his greatest assets and talents is his ability to dribble. But when you watch him, do you think sometimes he tends to over dribble and then he's got to work really, really hard to score. And that makes it difficult for the offense because nobody knows really what they should be doing when he's going deep into the shot clock on his own and then trying to hit fadeaways or reverse layups. Do you guys feel watching him that maybe if he is off the ball and doesn't have to over dribble like he has been, maybe that would be more effective for him? So I'll give my uneducated opinion as yeah. someone with no handles who uh via my ig story tyler has pointed out the fact that i have no handles <laughs> um Kyrie, i think has the best handles in the, in the game yeah he's a great finisher around the rim jump off the wrong foot and puts crazy backspin so from a talent level he is crazy for but sure the difference i think in him on the perimeter with those handles is if you look at james harden's handles they're super tight everything is tight almost like the way isaiah thomas's were where he can get into his shots so quick because he's not moving the ball that far. He's just kind of mesmerizing you with it. And all of a sudden, he took a step to the side or took an escape dribble or stepped back and hit a three in your face. Kyrie's handles are beautiful to watch, but I don't know how productive they it's are. Like street ball almost. Because they're so loose. Yeah. And so it takes longer for him to get that ball back in the pocket and do anything with it. Pass it, shoot it. I think aesthetically I like watching it, but I don't necessarily know yeah. it's as productive yeah i think the difference in watching Kyrie in cleveland and watching him in boston is in cleveland the setup of their roster was basically like how houston's is now where you have lebron you have Kyrie, then you have a bunch of shooters around him and if they don't shoot if Kyrie passes it to shumpert and he doesn't shoot it what does he do he gives it back to Kyrie, and they clear out the side mm -hmm. you know so he's getting so many possessions you know he could have an empty possession come down and do a great move and you're going to remember the great move and him hitting the three or whatever the case is. But in Boston, you have so much pieces around, you have to run an offense. You can't just come down and give Tatum ISO, yeah. give Jalen Brown ISO, then it's Kyrie's turn because you're not going to win that way. So watching them, it looks like Kyrie wants to play that way that he played in Cleveland where he can make all the plays and, and everyone else plays off of him. But as the point guard of a team that has the deepest roster in the NBA, I think it looks like he's forcing it because he's used to doing that. That's what made Kyrie Kyrie. And I think even dating back to pre-LeBron coming back in, in Cleveland, we've seen Kyrie do some stuff that we haven't seen point guards do in a while because he had the ball and had so yeah. much usage and so many possessions like James Harden does. So I think on a team like that, we'll see Kyrie and, and we'll be you know amazed of the stuff he could do. But on a team that has an offense that they have to run to be productive on the offensive end, I think it's harder to watch him in that sense. Is he too proud of a person we know that he wanted to leave to lead a team on his own is he too proud to say maybe i can't do it on my own and i'm gonna go to la and be with lebron or join up with durant and go to new york together i think the the comment he made where he was doing media and yep. he was talking to media and 
he himself brought up the fact that he called LeBron. I think that was his, like his sorry, like, okay, I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And it took him, I think this is his second year in, in Boston. So it took him a while to get there. I think he is a proud person. We've seen the interview where, you know, he's like, LeBron's not my dad. And, and he, <laughs> we've seen a bunch of that stuff, which I respect because, you know, he got sunned in a sense sometimes with LeBron being there. But I still think he has the respect of being a top three-point guard in the league. So if he said, I'm going to, to L.A., you know, after this performance, I think more people that accept it, I think they'd give him the KD treatment and, oh, you just want to, you know, ring chase and do whatever you want. But I think for his career, I think a, a, a team that's going to say, okay, you're Kyrie Irving, we're going to give you the ball until you're tired, and then we'll give it to LeBron, and then we'll give it to this guy and, and surround you with all shooters and big men to, to tailor your game, I think that would be more beneficial for him. And, and it'd be easier to watch as mm-hmm. opposed to expecting him to go out there and be Ricky Rubio and finding these guys to all these shots where he's looking to score. That's all. That's what he's been since high school is a score for his point guard. Yeah. But, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens because at the end of the day, he's turning down a lot of money if he, he, you know, leaves the Celtics. See, the more I watch, the more I'm like, I don't think he's top three. I'll take Steph over him. I'll take Harden over him. i take Dame over him. At this point, I'd probably take Kemba over him. At least Kemba's going to do similar things with a better attitude. He's going to do it with a smile on his face. And it, as good as he is offensively, he is someone you have to scheme and help defensively because he's not helping you on that end now. The point guard position at this point is everyone's giving everyone fluid. buckets. Mm-hmm. It's tough to, to guard any point guard with the freedom of movement, but these playoffs were not a great endorsement for Kyrie. I also think, though, he needs some help, and we should be putting a little bit more of the blame at the doorstep of Brad Stevens. It's easy to coach kids in college. It's easy to coach kids... Uh, in the NBA who are young and just trying to get a run and basically make a name for themselves and get their next contract. It's difficult to coach stars, to coach a team with real expectations and meet those expectations. And we talk about, okay, well, there's only one ball. How's everyone going to get shots? Infiltrating a guy into the system like Marcus Smart, who comes back in the middle of the playoffs and he's a glue guy for them. But in two games, he took 11 threes and he hit one. Mm -hmm. Like that's not a recipe for success. And so whether it's, an X's and O's thing with Stevens or a culture setting thing. Um, I think part of their problems are not just on the floor. I think people who thought Brad Stevens is going to be the next president of the USA, like <laughs> we, we need to we need to calm down on that love a little bit. He's he's not the next Popovich, not yet. We talk about the fact though that Kyrie would be best in a system where here's the ball, check it at the top and do what you do, and we'll be here waiting for catch and shoot. The guy who has that license that nobody says anything about is James Harden. As we flip from east to west, I was dumbfounded that he was playing well, he was unguardable, and as soon as KD goes out of the series, or out of the game, and and now out of the series, he stopped shooting. He's lost his aggressiveness. He wasn't even really bringing the ball over half. He was giving it up and wasn't fighting to get it back. And in fact, the guy who started shooting in volume was Steph. What happened to your mans? (laughs) Funny, so I was as somebody that played for the Rockets. I think what people are fair to realize, like even me before I, I went to Houston, was how much usage he actually has. Like I haven't seen anybody have to make a play every time down. You know, you see even Kyrie, we're talking about him where he sometimes forces it. You know, there's times he'll come down, kind of, all right, here, Tatum, I'm going in the corner. I'm going to not rest, but okay, I, I'm not going to go every time. He, every single time he's going down, he's making a play, whether that's for himself and he's not doing it in three seconds. He's taking 20 seconds. He's passing and getting it back. So I think, and what I noticed from being there is by the time the end of the game comes, he's toast. No matter what shape you're in, I think it is 
near impossible to make every play on NBA court for 48 minutes and do it at the level he's doing it. So I has talked about Houston, you know, they brought in Chris Paul to be another ball handler, but, you know, you're signing a guy who's at the end of his career, a guy that's been, you know, injury prone in the playoffs. So I don't think they can give the ball to, to Chris Paul like they can to James Harden, whereas last year they were able to do that. They were able to say, okay, Chris, you you take us to the house now, and then once you get cold, we'll give it, we'll give it back to James, whereas this year... I don't think they trust Chris Paul as much as they trust James Harden, rightfully so. So I don't know if this system of strictly James Harden with uh, older Chris Paul will work like the LeBron James with the Kyrie Irving because Kyrie Irving was in his prime and LeBron was in his prime. We're dealing with one guy in his prime and, and the older Chris Paul. So it is hard to watch sometimes, though, if they're not making shots. I mean, you'll have Chris Paul dribbling for 23 seconds and mm-hmm. they throw up a bad three. So... I don't blame James. I think it's tough in the playoffs to continue to blame him because, but I, th- I think this year has been probably his best playoffs in, in a while, have just consistently putting up those numbers that he put up in, in the whole season. Yeah, the frustrating thing about watching that was the Rockets have been knocking on the door for years now, and especially against the Warriors. And they had 10 minutes where they could plant their flag and say, this is our moment where we are going to beat the Golden State Warriors and make it to the Western Conference Finals and get past all of our demons. And for 10 minutes, Harden had one shot. And I think that's the frustrating thing when you look at what Rockets fans were complaining about after that game. It's like, this guy's our MVP. And suddenly, he disappeared in the biggest moment of the season. It was essentially, who wants to be bigger in this moment? Harden or Steph Curry? And we got our answer in that game. So now looking ahead to game six... There's a lot of people jumping on the Rockets bandwagon, but we also have to remember that the Golden State Warriors still have Steph, right. Draymond, Clay, and yes, of course, they're not as deep as they were when they won 73 games in the regular season without Kevin Durant, but you saw just a glimpse of what Steph can do when he gets hot. He did that in the fourth quarter, and if he does that for one game, that's all they need him to do is play one really good game with the help of Clay and Draymond. And they're moving on again. So I would be a little cautious to everyone out there that says, oh, because Durant's not playing in the series anymore, the Rockets now have their best opportunity. Yeah, it's really what flipped scenarios from a season ago. It's, it's almost identical. Yeah, Big player goes out of the series. The team is is up one game, just need one to close it out. But the other team feels good about their way they're playing and they've got the, the home court in that scenario. We are taping this mere hours before game six. So probably everything that we said is going to happen. Yeah. The opposite ended up happening, but that's been a fun series to Harden's watch. Harden's going to drop 50. Exactly. <laughs> Chris Paul's going to find the fountain of steps. 0 for 18. Two teams at a championship level. Another team in the West trying to get there. And we're going to end this conversation with team you know well, Tyler, the Los Angeles Lakers. What is going on? They are literally a family-run organization. The bus family runs the team. Genie's now the leader. It's been been passed on from Dr. Buss. But they're running an NBA franchise, one of the hallmark franchises in the league, literally like it's a mom and pop shop. Like, they had Ty Lue, but then they didn't want to guarantee him as many years, and they're going back and forth on the money. Like, it, listen, if it doesn't work out with Ty Lue, then just fire him and pay him his money. Like, you're the Lakers. You can print money. Now we're talking about Lionel Hollins and Frank Vogel being the potential coaches. They're trying to tell coaches that Jason Kidd has to be on their staff. If you want to hire Jason Kidd, just go hire Jason Kidd. They've known for a while that they needed a new coach because 
if you believe reports, Rob Palinka knew for a while that Luke Walton wasn't going to be the coach. I don't know how they're potentially wasting what's left of LeBron's prime. And if people thought that, you know, Clutch and LeBron was going to be a circus in LA, no, actually, they've been like pretty good citizens. The franchise has been the circus. Did you see the videos today of the protest outside of the Stable Center? (laughs) So there was getting all this hype on Twitter and Instagram, and then the videos were showing up, and it's like 14 people outside (laughs) outside of the Stable Center protesting the Lakers. And then I think yesterday it was uh, Mayor Garcetti, I think his name is, the mayor of the city of Los Angeles, said that the the city is a Clippers town as opposed to a Lakers town. So you can imagine uh, what that did to the psyche of, of Lakers fans in LA. My question is, why not... Like, is it so difficult to just hand the keys to LeBron? He's there for three more years and just let him do basically whatever he wants. He's proven that he can get the job that is sort of a quasi general manager, coach and player. This guy is one of the greatest of all time. Like, why don't we just let him make the decisions and then see where it takes us? He's got three years left on his deal. Like, it's not a crazy thing to do, in my opinion. Yeah, I think the problem with that is the Lakers, in my opinion with the Kobe, his last few years where, you know, they hired Byron Scott, which for me kind of came out of left field where, you know, they had other options. So I think they did that for Kobe and and kind of stunted the growth of guys they were drafting in a sense by, all right, we got to send Kobe out on the right way. And will you do that for LeBron? I think you'll, you'll win a lot more doing that, but I think they're trying to protect what they have, but I think they're ended ruin that in a sense. And my issue as a player and now looking from the outside looking in is that everything that happens like with the Tyloo, you know, situation, you try to hire him. I don't know why all that has to be in the media, mm-hmm. you know, whether, whether the, the deal works out or not, you know, as fans, you only know what the media tells us. And so my thing was that every single move and free agent target and mm-hmm. trade target ended up in the media. And that I think goes to how the Lakers have always been ran. You know, they want to be, you know, the the most talked about team and media talked about and fans and everything like that. But, you know, things haven't been working, you know, in the last few years without Kobe Bryant. So I don't think they've really adjusted to the post-Kobe Bryant era in, you know, we got to actually run this organization. We can't just sign whoever Kobe, wants to sign yeah. in and it's like, okay, Kobe will bring us there. And I don't think they figured that out. They've drafted some good pieces, but you have essentially, you know, three top 10 picks with LeBron James and, you know, all this cap room that you've talked about for the last three years and you don't make the playoffs. I think they're really facing the pressure of what organizations face that aren't the Lakers, you know, with Kobe Bryant in the past few years. One of the first moves by the genie bus regime was the fire head of PR and communications, John Black, and their PR and communications have been terrible since. <laughs> and if Ty Lue isn't your guy, or you can't agree on money, whatever. To your point, Tyler... We shouldn't even know about that in the first place. Woj and Shams, that's the problem. <laughs> they know everything. True. It's everywhere. But the other problem is, okay, if not him, then who? You said that you want a coach that LeBron is going to respect and listen to. So that's part of the equation. But also, because of Kurt Rambis and his wife, you want their input on every coach, and it has to be someone who fits the the Laker ideals and the Laker standard and be part of the Laker family, which is, to your point, why you ended up with a coach like Byron Scott in the past. So you're trying to really feed two different beasts and you are ended up with nobody and we're not that far away yeah. from the draft, right? Yeah. And Rob Palenka alone, his drafting record, although it's 
small is not great. And that's why I thought, well, instead of saying Jason Kidd has to be on all these guys' staff, well, if you want Jason Kidd, just hire Jason Kidd. And he could work with Lonzo Ball, and maybe he can resuscitate his career and be like, yo, you could be a taller version of me. And he'll have the respect of LeBron because they played on a dream team together. And basically, he could let LeBron be the pseudo coach the same way Ty Lue let LeBron be the pseudo coach. I guess the worst advertisement for Jason Kidd as your head coach is the way the Milwaukee Bucks have played yeah. since Jason Kidd hasn't been there. It's been fun. I suspect by the next time we tape, we will be talking about big news in Toronto and probably not big news in L.A., because they seem to be dragging their feet with their decision. Either way, what, however Game 7 goes down, there will be decisions to be made in Toronto, and that's why this time of year is fun. Thanks, fellas. Thank you. Thanks for having me.